This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. can't believe it but we're coming up to the very last Sunday of our fall campaign this year that we've entitled transformed how God changes us aren't you glad that Jesus changes you he doesn't leave you the way he found you he makes you into a new person and believe it or not we're starting a new series not next Sunday but the first Sunday of December we're going to move into a brand new series I'm real excited about that I'm calling surprise package you just never know what's going to show up when you commit your life to Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking about through the weeks of December. I think you're really going to enjoy it, and it's going to really inspire your your Christmas season uh, holidays. So uh, we encourage you to be a part of uh, our services in December if you're here in town. You can pull out your notes for today's message if you like. We're going to start with Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which we have done every week of this campaign, that says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, um, I haven't given much emphasis to the first sentence or the first part of that verse. Uh, We've talked a lot about how God transforms us and the fact that he wants to transform us. But I want you to know that that will not happen unless you let the first part of the verse be a part of your life as well, which says don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. If you're going to stay locked into uh, uh, pop culture and what it says is uh, the norm and what it believes is moral and what it declares is, is acceptable behavior, then you're never going to have a transformed life. You're always going to be wondering why you never had the power of God working in your life the way other people talk about. You've got to reject pop culture's uh, premise that this is the way to live with uh, uh, excitement and fun and fulfillment because ultimately what pop culture will bring to you is bondage. And that's the reason why I love what uh, the Phillips translation, how it renders the first part of that verse where it says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That, that kind of says it right, doesn't it? That's exactly what happens. The world around us, the values of the world around us, if we're not careful, it'll start squeezing us. It'll start forming us into the kind of person it wants us to be. And of course, the enemy of your soul is behind all of that. So what you've got to do is make a firm determination within your mind, within your heart, within your spirit, where you're saying, I am not going to let the world squeeze me, mold me, make me like it. I am going to be rather transformed by the power of God's Spirit. I'm going to give myself completely to the working of God in my life. And I believe you've got to make a, a conscious decision in your life for that to happen. 
Now, through this year's campaign, over these previous six weeks, we've talked about letting God transform us and letting him work in our lives in six critical areas of our lives. We've talked about transformation spiritually, transformation mentally, transformation emotionally, transformation physically, relationally. And then last week, we talked about God transforming us financially. And these six areas form the core of what makes your life effective and, and I think, enjoyable. When you are living your life transformed in these six areas, every other area of your life, every other aspect of your life will start making sense, will start falling into place, and life will be what you believed God wanted it to be in your life all along. Uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us the difference between what Satan wants to do in your life and the working of God in your life. And he said this, he calls Satan here a thief, and he says the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come in order that you might have life, you might have it in all of its fullness. And so what he's saying here is that the intention of the enemy is against you, it's not for you. God is for you. God is wanting to set you on course to greater fulfillment, greater blessings, greater favor in your life. The enemy is trying to steal that away from you. He's trying to kill your potential, and he's trying to destroy your soul by taking you to hell. Jesus said, if you'll turn yourself over to me, let me transform you. I will give you life in all of its fullness. Now, all around you this morning are people who have lived on both sides of that spiritual fence. They've lived for the thief, they've lived for Satan, they've given themselves to him for a season of time, but God has reached out with his grace, has saved them, has transformed them, I should say is transforming them, and they're becoming different people. That, so if you feel that you are the only one in this audience today who has ever committed yourself to the working of the enemy, I want you to watch very carefully as we share the story of two wonderful people in our church fellowship, Brad and Jeanette Allman, and the story of God's transformation in their lives. six children. Um, I had two older brothers and an older sister. And, you know, the brothers were always uh, picking on one another. And, you know, there was competition, you know, to be the best or get attention, whatever it was. But it, it was a good life. My older brother had actually found alcohol in my older brother's 
vehicle. And so when I drink the alcohol, I didn't like how it tasted. Something felt different. I liked the effect that it produced. You know, it made me feel tingly and light. And so I didn't like the taste of it, but I liked what it did to me. Growing up in my home, um, you know, and I started maturing, my stepfather started to pay more attention to me than he used to. I think at first I thought it was great. His attention ended up, let's just say, he was a sick man. He, he was a voyeur. Well, I mean, I was 13 years old at the time, so I was entering junior high, and that was a whole big change from what grade school was. I started to notice girls, there was drugs there, and there was different friends that I hadn't known that I began to hang out with and build relationships with and people that, you know, probably weren't Mormon like I was and had access to alcohol and drugs and that's where just everything began. Here I am, 11 years old, I'm doing pornography, 13 years old, I have my first dream, 14 year, years old, I began to use marijuana on a consistent basis. So from the age of 13 to, let's say, you know, 16, 18, I'm rebelling against my family and I'm trying to hide it from my parents, you know, but I'm getting in trouble, you know, and uh, my parents are finding out about it and it's causing conflict for them because they have a good name and, you know, in the neighborhood and uh, so I'm causing them a lot of embarrassment and uh, pain. As soon as I graduated from high school, it began to get real serious. I began to start just not drinking on the weekends, but every day, using drugs every day, and the pornography you know, every day. By the time I was, I think, 19 or 20 years old, I was kicked out of my house. And for a, a young girl growing up in that kind of environment, I got a boyfriend, and he promised to take me away. I took him up on his promise. Graduation night, I got pregnant, had a baby. Things really started to decline uh, from there. Getting physically abusive um, got to a point where I was so scared that he was gonna hurt Josh and me that we had to leave. And I moved back home with my mom. So after getting divorce, I think I flipped out being in the same home with my mom again. I just started doing what I need to do and uh, met up with my next big romance. <laughs> Sometime into our relationship, he had let me know that he was using cocaine. I had never tried anything like that before, so I tried it. Originally, it just started out as an innocent little line here. It was what we would do on the weekends. Very slowly, it became something more. Um, we, we went on a, a serious decline. Pretty soon, we were um, smoking it together. Pretty soon, two or three times a week, then a little bit more. Then our whole life was consumed, completely eaten up, Okay, what you get there is the beginning story of two lives that started down the hard road of sin. 
They had no idea where it was going to take them. Where it took them was much further than what they expected. Uh, what attracts us to sin is uh, our carnal nature. It's what the Bible calls our carnal nature, refers to it as our sin nature, uh, our, our world, the worldly nature within us. There's that part of us that really is attracted to sin, that finds sin very attractive. And let's face it, it's easier to live for the devil in this world than it is to live for God. It's always easier to do that. And so many people will take the easy way out. Now, God will admit that sin is attractive. In fact, it's interesting uh, uh, to look into the life of what's, well, into what Scripture says about the life of a man by the name of Moses over in the book of Hebrews. It talks to us about the hard choices that he had to make in this regard. It says that he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Those last three words admit that God is oftentimes put on the shelf in favor of the pleasures of sin. And many of you, in fact, I would say every one of us in this place have made that choice at one point in our lives because we are all sinners. Every single one of us has been a sinner. We have given ourselves over to the sinful nature and have allowed that to dominate in our lives. And because of it, every single one of us has needed to be saved. Most people, in fact, all people probably are not like Moses. They, they choose rather than oppression. I mean, who would choose oppression? You know, they, they choose instead to live for themselves, to live for the world, and, and to gain the acceptance of the world. And the Bible says here, sin can be pleasing, at least for a while, for a season. But it's like that verse says, it's fleeting. It goes away quickly. It only lasts for a short time. I've heard this for years from people who have given themselves to the world and given themselves to a sinful lifestyle and then they've come back to Jesus Christ, or they've come to the Lord for the first time. They've given their hearts to Christ. And this is the testimony that they have shared with me, basically, that comes out of their previous life, or what they observed about their life of sin. They said, first of all, their sin took them farther than they wanted to go. Have you found that to be true? Maybe even in your own life? You never believed you would have done the things that you did. You never believed you would have gone as far into this as you would have gone, involved in what you were involved in. It took you farther than you thought you would go. You thought you could control it, but it was controlling you. The second thing that they've told me about it is that their sin kept them longer than they wanted to stay. It was intended as just a, a short innocent affair but it didn't stop there it had control over them and they felt like they couldn't get out even though they desperately wanted out they couldn't stop they couldn't get away from it it's a fact that sin will keep you longer than you want to stay and thirdly they have said that their sin cost them more than they intended to pay now I'm not talking about money when the thief gets through killing and stealing and destroying your life, you end up like a used-up rag. Sin always costs you more than you thought you would pay. 
The person you end up on the other side is not what you thought you would be. But that's where Jesus Christ steps in. That's where the power of God steps in. People we give up on, God does not give up on. God does not walk away. God doesn't say you're too far gone. He still believes in you. He still believes in what you can become. Now, you may be sitting there saying to me, well, Pastor Jim, I can't be good enough for God to want me. But here's the good news. And this is what the gospel is. It's good news. The good news is you don't have to be good enough for God to want you. He wants you just the way you are. In fact, if you could be good enough for God to want you, then you would not have needed Jesus in the first place. The fact that we need Jesus tells us that we can't be good enough on our own. He makes us good enough by the power of God's grace. I'm so reminded of one great song that a songwriter by the name of Bill Gaither once penned years ago when he said something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. And that's what Jesus Christ will do for you. He'll make something beautiful out of your life. I was pregnant with Jaden. You know, I had been using and I I stopped. I was able to, to just quit. A couple days after I had her, after I carried her and I had her, um, I was right back, um, caught up in the addiction and um, needing my fix to survive. I literally had to have it in my body to get through the day. I had tried myself many times to quit, and I just I couldn't do it. Um, and I realized I needed help. And, and seeing my son go through everything that he was going through, and they threatened to, to actually have him adopted. And at age 13, I could not, like, who gives their kid up for adoption at age 13? So that was a tipping point for me, um, being able to be honest. They did get me into a treatment program. I went to the House of Hope. I did a nine-month outpatient treatment program. So there I got to learn, you know, about my, about my disease, about the disease of addiction. I also, you know, got to learn about abusive men <laughs> and um, warning signs and um, thinking errors and all of these things, you know, I started putting puzzle pieces together. My sponsor, you know, Cindy Lindsay, her and Lisa Draper are the ones who took me through my steps, and they invited me to church. All I knew is she had something I wanted. That's all I knew. She had something I wanted that I needed, not just wanted, but I needed it, and I needed it desperately. And she took me to church, and the pastor was talking about forgiveness. I remember him saying something about how this wounded, beaten, horribly disfigured man pouring out his blood on a cross for me. I couldn't quite grasp it, but I knew I felt something. I felt something in that moment. It just went through me. I don't know how to explain it, but I stood up. I believe that is definitely uh, the moment that things 
really started changing more. We divorced uh, my first wife and uh, I was uh, seeking women out at bars because I was lonely and didn't know how to be alone and still using drugs and uh, that's when I'd met my second wife. I would say my bottom, I'd came home and uh, one night here at this home and my wife wasn't here and so I became very angry and jealous and uh, when my wife returned home I'd assaulted her and so I was arrested for those charges and uh, was in real serious trouble. There was a prison sentence hanging over my head. This marriage ended up in divorce as well, but I was facing some real serious trouble, three first-degree felonies. At that time, I think God used the legal system, a judge and a therapist and a probation officer to get my attention, which I didn't know it at the time. He was sneaky. I didn't know it was him. He just put, like I say, the people, places, and things in my life. That's when I attended my first uh, AA meeting. So that was, it was time God was going to present himself. He'd done all this work in my life with this therapist, you know, rearranged me there. He brought Jeanette into my life. And um, uh, now it was time to introduce himself, and I was invited to Life Church. You know, he was planting these seeds with my wife going to live church and listening to Christian music and you know I was rebelling against it because I didn't want to I still had these walls built up I didn't want to let God in the day I walked in live church something happened something changed I just felt loved I felt like I was home I was uh, I and I loved the worship music it was pretty I never experienced anything like that or knew that you know that's really the way Jesus wanted me to worship him I would really like the idea that I could come as I was and I didn't feel judged. And so that was the transformation. That was the beginning. And then God just started to move in my life and open doors that I just never imagined. That's the power of God to start transforming a life. I mean, what... Brad and Jeanette had committed themselves to a life of personal destruction and pain was beginning to change because what, what uh, many people gave up on, God did not give up on. And God saw the potential of what could be in their life if only they could be healed, if only they could be transformed. And so they began to cooperate with God and allow a transformation to start taking place. Sin, when it has, when it, when it has, it has its way in your life, will use you up and, and toss you off to the side. I want you to hear it again. Satan does not love you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to take away your eternity with Jesus Christ. And Satan will only use you as long as, as you have value to him. But the moment you cease to have value to him any longer, he will toss you aside like an old rag. And that's when hopelessness begins to grow in the lives of people. I've seen it over and over again in people who have hit rock bottom. Hopelessness, despair take over, and they begin uh, to, to get a blurred vision of reality. They start thinking wrong. 
their, 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 their thinking process. They lose the sense of reality. And when that happens, it is just a short step toward doing something drastic and sometimes something permanent. Did you know that the number one cause of death amongst teenagers in Utah is suicide? Suicide. Whether it's a life committed to sin and all-out in involvement in sex and drugs and, and alcohol, or, or, or whether it's the inability to live up to the impossible standards that have been placed upon them by their religious culture, whatever the reason, they spiral into a black hole that seems to offer only one way out, death. But it's not just a youth problem. It's all over society. I'll never forget the day a previous youth pastor I had years ago coming up to me and saying, Pastor Jim, my dad was in a motel in southern Utah and was hopeless. And in, and in his lost condition, he took a 357 to his head, and he's dead today. It happens all over our culture. There's suicide all over our culture because there is sin all over our culture. And because of sin, there is hopelessness all over our culture. Hopelessness tells you there's no way out. There's no remedy for the situation, the pain that you feel. People are, they, they try counselors and they hope the counselor can take away the pain, but the counselor can't change the circumstances. They can't change your heart. The Bible tells us of the story of one woman who was living in a hopeless situation in Luke chapter 8. It says that a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And then Peter said, Master, the whole, whole crowd is pressing up against you. In other words, you've been touched by scores and scores of people. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. I want to suggest to you today that God feels the touch of faith. When you touch him with your faith, he can feel it every time. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees before him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 43, though, in this, this grouping of scriptures tells us this woman's dilemma. It said she could find no cure. She had no hope. And that's the condition of millions of Americans today. Millions of people in our culture today. Maybe that's you too. But it's not just a physical issue. It's the condition of the soul. It feels like there's no healing for the pain and the depression. It feels like there's no healing for the sickness inside you. I want you to know that is true. There is no healing apart from Jesus Christ. But everything we're trying to tell you is that God has the power to change and transform any broken heart that will invite him in. You know, ever since that day, God just began to really move in my life and you know, put people, places, and things in my life, and he started to use me. And, uh, you know, not only in my AA program, but, you know, in other ministries. 
they started to use me and um, that's how it all changed. Then after that, little by little, all of a sudden, you know, I went through my steps. Brad asked me to marry him. This was the man that God had for me. I continued going to church. I continued going to Life Church. So would do the retreats um, up at Camp Utaba. The, they came to Believe Retreats for AA. You know, in the beginning it was tough because Jeanette and I, when we first started living together and we lived together in sin, we weren't married and we brought two blended families together. I wasn't in a place where, where I am today. You know, I still had a lot of growth and still a lot of things to, to work on. And so that was a test and a trial. So at the end of the retreat, they would always do what they called the cherry on top. And that's where um, those who wanted to um, would be able to be baptized in the river. Somebody told me that my husband was down at the river getting baptized. <laughs> and I flipped out and I went running down there and I was like, oh my gosh. And so, of course, I did then too. For me today, God removed the anger. I'm clean and sober. I'm involved in my, you know, in my AA program. I'm working with uh, uh, new people. Uh, God opened up a ministry down at the jail. Because I want those men to know that I sat there in that jail and I felt like they did and I felt lost and I felt hopeless and I felt like my life was over. And so I go down there, God opened that door and uh, he uses me to share my story with them and he speaks through me so that they can have hope so that they can have transformation like I have. God continues to open a lot of doors for me and continues to work through me if I'm, if I make myself available, if I will humble myself to him and be obedient to his word. He uh, opens a lot of doors and uses me to, to help change lives. And so it's just been an incredible journey I just could never imagine. I went to this revival and Cindy was with me. She's, she's the one who took me and I wanted to go. And it is where, that's where the, the person who was doing the revival, he was from Africa. In the middle of his sermon, he just stops and he looks around the room and he's like, I need to do this. And that there's a woman who's waiting who's in the audience and she's waiting for a medical procedure to be done. She's waiting for papers. Will you please come forward, you know? And so I'm waiting for this woman to come forward. And I think he asked about five times before he finally came and stood in front of me and said, it is you, will you come forward? And I was like, freaked out, you know? Something happened. Um, he anointed me with oil touched my forehead it was like this electrical shock that went through me and I hit the floor and in that period of time that I was on the floor I had a moment um, I had a moment with Jesus and he he healed up all of that stuff inside of me um, I, all I can remember feeling is complete warmth from 
from my head to my toes, just all up and down. Just nothing but complete electric warmth. And it felt like things were changing and moving inside of me. Um, and he ripped some things out of me. And I've never been the same. Praise the Lord. So there's the scripture in Romans 12 too. But Brad and Jeanette are that scripture lived out and changed. And they are still being transformed by God. Don't get the impression that transformation means you're perfect. I'm still being transformed. I want you to say, thank God right now. <laughs> Brad and Jeanette are still being transformed, but I am so proud of this couple, and I love them so much, and so grateful that Life Church has had a small part in their lives. I'd like for you two to stand so everybody can see who you are. God bless you guys. Thank you so very much. I, uh, I just want to remind you of what I said earlier. Sin will take you further than you intended to go. It'll keep you longer than you intended to stay, and it'll cost you more than you intended to pay. When it gets done with you, you will not be what you had hoped you would have been. You will not be more attractive. You will not be more popular. You will not be more loved. You will not be richer. You'll not be better off. But it doesn't have to be that way. Um, I was so touched by that little comment you made, Jeanette, that you had a moment with Jesus. See, some of you have had a moment with religion and it hasn't done anything for you. Religion won't. All religion will do is make you feel worse because you can never live up to all the standards. For a while you can see, okay, here's my way out. But then all of a sudden it's not working. And religion never will work. Doesn't matter what religion it is, it won't work. The only thing that works is a transformation on the inside that comes through the power of God. But it only happens to you if you open your life up to him. That's what they did. That's what they're continuing to do every day of their lives, opening themselves up to him and having a moment with Jesus. You know, there are probably some of you that are here today that you've, um, you once walked with God, but through circumstances, issues, disappointments in life, whatever it might be, physical issues or mental pain, emotional issues, You've, it's caused you to pull away. For others of you, you've, you've been raised in a, a religious or a Christian atmosphere even, but you've never really fully committed to Christ. After the first service, I had a man come up to me and, and say that his grandson happened to be here this morning. Well, he's been here several Sundays, so I, didn't, I really didn't know much about his grandson. 
And so I didn't really think that much about it, but he said, I want you to know that he raised his hand at the end of the service. And I said, that's wonderful. What's going on with him? He said, oh, he's just been playing games for years, playing religious games. Comes to church, but he's never really fully committed to Christ. This is deep into um, a, a sin life, deep into pornography, and it's destroying his, his uh, marriage. I, I said, I imagine so. But he raised his hand today. And I said to this man who came up to me, it's just the start, but it's the start. And if you can help him as his grandfather to grow now and to make that commitment full and life-changing, the, the, the process that starts will lead to a transformation so that a year from now, you will be so different you'll never know that you were the same person that you were the year before. You'll be doing things for God that you never thought you would do. That's the power of God to take control of what's going on in your life if you'll turn it over to him. But you've got to make that decision for yourself. I had to do it for me. Pastor Sid had to do it for him. You have to do it for you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. And there may be people that are here today that you would honestly say, I've been playing games with God. And I can see where it's taking me. I act religious when I have to. But I make terrible choices with my life because I'm not fully committed to Christ. And today's the first day of God's transforming work in your life, if you'll let it be. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.